Well, good morning. Am I running? Good. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege to be with you this morning and to celebrate this anniversary of 10 years with you. Um, I I tell you, uh, you have broken the statistics of a vast number of church plants that never see uh, an anniversary far before the 10th, let alone the 10th. And so I congratulate you on that, not just for surviving, but for being a church that is thriving, that is seeing the Lord do a a fruitful ministry and work, uh, not only among your congregation, but through your congregation and uh, in your city and around the world. And that is no small feat, I assure you. Um, When you have done this as long in in terms of church planting, um, we've been at it about 14 years now. Uh, Pastor Seth has been uh, at it uh, over 10 because it didn't start with the launch of the church. There's much work to be done before that. Um, We've seen many uh, close their doors and move on to other things for different reasons. And um, this is no small feat today. And I want you to understand, uh, at least from our perspective, those of us who are in the fray every day of the week, This is a major milestone, and uh, as I challenged our church about three and a half years ago when we hit our 10-year anniversary, um, we should take time to celebrate and just to enjoy all that the Lord has done. Um, But as we pass from this day to tomorrow and next week, let's invest 10 years to move towards 100. Let's see the Lord take what He's done not just to have a good run for a generation, but to raise up another generation that will take hold of the gospel that's been entrusted to them through the ministry of this body of people and will also surrender to the call uh, to take it to the next generation. It is a privilege of mine to be a dear friend, uh, hopefully a dear friend, uh, of your pastor, at least a friend. I know your pastor. <clears throat> I'll... Uh, I'll not impose anything upon our uh, relationship that he's not willing to admit. Uh, he's a dear friend uh, to me. We've known each other for over 17 years now, uh, maybe 18 plus. I don't know. It's been some of the best 30 of my life. <laughs> maybe 40 for him. I don't know. We have a common gifting uh, of smack talk, and uh, we mutually edify one another Uh, with that and it's been an encouragement in all seriousness to me uh, just to be able to um, to have that brotherhood Um, uh, knew Seth and Amy uh, before they were leading the church and uh, and and thankful for their relationship now I also uh, enjoy uh, Matt who works for me uh, a couple of days actually two and a half days a week uh, at LifePoint and blesses our church uh, with part-time labors there, and I appreciate his work, and um, and thankful to be able to come and and uh, this isn't what I usually get to see Matt doing, um, and and so I'm thankful to be able to come and witness his ministry here as well. I hope today, as we uh, break the bread of life together from Acts chapter two, uh, I hope to be able to share just a few words with you this morning that uh, that enrich your celebration. Uh, that strengthen your ministry, and that encourage you in your endurance and perseverance uh, for the days, weeks, months, and years, and maybe even generations ahead until the Lord decides to return. 
Um, our days of church life are not getting easier. Uh, there is no doubt. We live in a day and time which I don't know compared to other cultures. It's not like our culture is worse than any's ever been. That's for sure. Uh, and so I don't think being the church today is harder than it's ever been. But I do believe being the church today is harder than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. And in my lifetime, and in the culture that I've known here in Springfield for the last 18 and a half years, I do believe that the days that are in front of us will bring greater challenge living faithfully as the people of God than the days that have led up to today. But we are completely assured and convinced of this, that the one who has called us to those days is fully sufficient to sustain us and strengthen us and to be effective in those days. And I pray today's encouragement to you and help for you is something that you can look on to be exactly that. It's a high honor for me to share with you today. Let me begin by reading from the Word from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 through 47. The good Dr. Luke writes, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and the belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day... Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of His Word today. Today I want to talk to you about being fully devoted and cultivating a life of gospel mission. And I want you to walk away today with this one prevailing idea. That Christ followers cultivate a full devotion to Jesus to build a culture of gospel-centered mission. And I hope and pray this is a help and an encouragement for you. As we unpack this passage together this morning, I want to use an illustration of relationships that help us see how it is that what we will see in this passage relates to itself so that we can understand how we as individual followers of Jesus relate to one another in the church to be the church as God's body in the world, and serve His mission in this world to see a life of transformation built. You know, the earth is the illustration that I want to draw from today. And there are three principal layers to this physical body or planet of the earth. There's the outer layer, which is the crust. That's where we live, and that's where we're standing even now. If you permeate much deeper, you find that middle layer, which is called the mantle. That makes up about 84% of the earth's mass. And once you permeate deeper still, you get to the inner, what they call the core. 
The core makes up about 15% of the earth's mass. I've never been there personally. Don't plan to go. But I want to talk about the relationship of these three aspects of the planet in order to highlight the relationship of the layers of the church, the body of Christ in the world that we see in this passage. Let's go first of all to that first layer, and I want to begin at the very heart of where everything is taking place, at the core, that 15% of the planet, and look at our first layer, what I'll call a full Devotion. This is the core of the church, friends. It's the very center of everything that God is doing in eternity in His mission today. And here's where I want to begin the first part of verse 42. And it says this, And they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. This is the very center of our existence as the church. In this first layer of a full devotion, the very center of everything that's going on, here's the first thing we see. We see what Luke shows us and helps us to see how it is that they honored Jesus, what it is that they valued, and how it was that they practiced their faith. You see, friends, devotion is the first defining characteristic of Christians in the New Testament church. Devotion to Jesus forms that first defining characteristic for the Christian life as well. And when we talk about being devoted to something, what we're talking about is setting it apart for a higher cause or a a higher use. It's not common. It's not something that you pull out for every day, but rather it is set aside It's set apart from the common to be used for a higher cost. We're defining with this adjective um, a, a higher purpose in defining the quality of the life that it provides. And literally, the definition says it's a state of being that perseveres in a specific action. So in other words, this being devoted to Christ is setting aside our relationship to the God who is the origin of all, the creator and the sustainer of life, not just to be laid out in a common way that we might use and 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 throw off as refuse the other things in our life, but rather setting it aside in such a way each and every day of our life to bring a higher purpose and meaning to our life. You see, devotion shows great commitment. It shows the discipline to do until the desired result is accomplished. And if, if I'm honest with you, there's not many areas in my life where I really prefer to practice devotion. Personally, I'd rather not go to the gym. I'd rather not go get some exercise. It hurts. If you follow me on social media, every time I get any exercise, I'm posting it. Because I'm getting all the value and credit I can today. Because there's coming a day, it's not going to be of any value to me anymore. I'm getting every like I can today. That may be the only good purpose for social media today, in my estimation. But as Paul says, physical training has some value. Spiritual training 
has eternal value. In other words, there is no limit to the value of devotion to Christ in your life. It holds eternal value. See, there's a reason that devotion forms that first defining characteristic for the Christian life. Let me just point out briefly some of those reasons. First of all, devotion is all about love. It's all about love. They devoted themselves to Jesus because they were so deeply loved and so eternally loved by Him. And that love was coming out of them that had come from Him. When we know God's love, we devote ourselves to Him. When we've really experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that He's made for us on the cross. Here's what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and 19. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Have you come to know and believe that love? That as a sinner, fully deserving eternal torment because of the offense of sin against a holy God. What we are fully justified in receiving. You know what justice is for us? Eternal condemnation because of the one we've offended in our sin. And do you know what God did for us? He satisfied that justice. He does not sweep our sin under the rug. He satisfies the high demand for justice by satisfying it on the cross of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says in verse 19. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. We love because he first loved us. You see, the reason that God loved us in the way He loved us was because the extent, the the way in which He loved us. And He loved us in such a way that is everlasting and that is true, that is complete in our need for Him and that was first in coming to us. We don't love God because we have some inkling of goodness in our nature. We love God because He is the one who is good by the very essence of his nature came to us and made a way whereby we could be loved and we could know love. Friends, devotion forms that first defining characteristic for the Christian life because it is our right response to love God motivated by God's love for us. But devotion won't let our love for God be hollow words. Devotion requires a definite object. It's not a nebulous uh, theoretical concept. You can't be devoted to that which you haven't identified. You can't be devoted to that which you're only vaguely familiar with. No one would look at the habits and the patterns and practices of my life and go, he is a man devoted to basketball. I own one basketball. It's my daughter's. It's probably flat. Because it's not been used in years. And when it was used, the reason my daughter didn't excel in basketball is because I didn't know what to teach her. I was never good from the beginning. I'm not devoted to it. And you know why? Because it's not really something that's captivated me. Nothing wrong with being devoted to it if you're good at it. Or if you love it. Right? When you give yourself to something, 
You have to know what it is. That's where devotion begins. Loving God is determined by relationship with Him, which only comes through the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ in His finished work on the cross. And Christian devotion centers itself fully on Jesus because Jesus is the one that shows us God's love in our salvation to Him. That's why Jesus is our definite object in our devotion because he is the one who has saved us. Devotion also demands a clear decision and it depends upon a decisive action. It's, again, it's not nebulous. It's not just theoretical. It's not vain, hollow words tweeted out regularly, but rather it's all-consuming. It, it demands that we remove or lessen commitment to everything else that would distract us, that would deter us, that would divide us, or, or that would deaden us in any way to that which is worthy of our devotion. Every yes that you say to Jesus will require multiple no's to many other things in this world if you're going to remain devoted to Him. You cannot say yes to Christ and continue to say yes to everything else in your life. Why? Because you will have a divided devotion and that's not a true devotion. Saying no is a decision of discipline not preference. If we drift along with things that are simply tied on, we're never saying no, and we convolute our devotion, we divide our love, and ultimately we deaden our loyalty. Love is real, concrete action. We don't live in trite cliches, Christians. We live in sound doctrine, biblical theology, orthodoxy that becomes orthopraxy. That is all driven by the one who has come to us that we might return to him. Romans 5.8 tells us God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Devotion shows the action of our love to God. Devotion is also best practiced as an initiating discipline, not a response mechanism of feelings. Jesus enjoyed loving fellowship with the Father for one reason. He knew the Father's unending, unfailing love because he listened to obey the Father, not because he had a warm fuzzy from the Father. Our devotion to Christ is a right response to God's love in sending Jesus. Friends, devotion is more determined for your life in your day-to-day discipline of routine than in the moments of heightened experience or intense frenzy. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Just a little walk, just a little talk. Why? Why? Because sometimes we feel like something's got to get whipped up in order for it to have substance. But the fact of the matter is, When the scriptures command us for how we relate to God, Deuteronomy 6, it's about what we think and what we do when our feet hit the floor in the morning until they come off the floor back into the bed at night. That's devotion. And devotion determines perseverance to endure. The good object of of devotion that it produces in us is greater than any pain or discomfort or inconvenience or heartache of any given moment in this life. And that's what Jesus demonstrates for us. In Matthew chapter 26, he says, My soul is sorrowful even to death. 
He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, devotion determines that the Father's glory, that the purpose of the Father's glory for our life is greater no matter what it costs. And of course, half-hearted devotion to that which deserves full devotion, that's most pathetic. And we see it not, not maybe in how people speak of things, but how they live out things. When what they say doesn't align with what they do, right? And we're all guilty of this to some extent and to some measure. But the further the divide between what we claim and how we live, the less valid and the less assured the fact that what we're saying is in fact true of what we're living. You see, in fact, half-hearted devotion to Jesus, it is a theological statement. It's a statement of what God is able to do and capable of doing in us. What if Jesus had saved himself or called a legion of angels to come and remove him from the cross going, you know what, this is too much. This is too much. But he didn't. But he didn't. For a Christian, half-hearted devotion to Jesus is a full idolatry. Stop and ask yourself, believer, today, am I living devoted to Jesus? That's where we are challenged in this first phrase of Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves. This is a continual, ongoing action. It doesn't say they were perfect. It doesn't infer that they were perfect. But when they sinned, they didn't go, oh, I'm shocked. I better hide this so no one else knows. No. They held to that which was holding them. That in fact their sin was a recognition of what the scriptures taught. And that meant they turned to Christ for their forgiveness instead of to their own recognizances to try and cover up or make up. To receive what Christ could do and not what they could achieve or earn. And thereby walk with God through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. New, Christ. New Testament Christians devoted themselves to Jesus because they loved Him. And friends, whatever holds your devotion, your love is what's holding you. You will never be satisfied with God. God will always be a disappointment to you until He alone holds all your devotion. And when He does you will find He is sufficient. He is not disappointing. And so we say, if this is the core of the Christian life, then how is it? What is it does the Christian life, what relationship does this have? Well, if you look at the core of the earth, here's what you understand that it's responsible for. It is the origin, the source of the magnetic field for the planet. What emanates from the core determines what keeps this planet centered and on course in its orbit. Not only in its rotation, but also in its annual orbit. That comes from the core. And so although it's only 15%, it controls everything that takes place with the planet. And I submit to you today that this first layer of your life, the full devotion of every individual Christian does the same. It keeps you centered and on course in your relationship 
with Jesus. Let's move to the second layer, though, the mantle. The mantle actually is the largest portion of the planet. It takes up 84%. And what it does is it insulates the outer crust to control what is coming out of the core. Now, I'll explain that a little more in a minute, but I want to look at this second layer of the mantle, and I want us to see these four practices that centered their life. So, in other words, if you've got this hot center emanating from your devotion to Christ, how do you live that out? Well, that's what he says. Here's what they devoted themselves to, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. These are the four practices through which they gave themselves in order to express their devotion. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. In our day and time, this is the Bible. These are the scriptures. The apostles taught from the Old Testament as the Holy Spirit inspired them. And they scripted the New Testament as the Spirit of God led them along. But Christians today devote themselves to God's Word, the Bible, in order to center our lives on Jesus. He is the living Word. The Bible is the revelation of who He is in our day and time. We don't worship the Bible, but through the Bible, we come to know, to inform and inflame our worship of the One who is living. I would ask you, do you have a plan to be in the Bible until it gets into you? Each and every day of this year. You've got you to be in the Word to get the Word in you. You've got to know the Word so the Word can know you. You've got to read the Word until the Word begins to read you. The second practice they gave them to, themselves to was what? It was the fellowship. You know what fellowship is? When fellowship, the koinonia of the New Testament. Koinonia is... The sweet, gooey goodness of the inside of that piece of candy. You just can't, you know, like a truffle. I don't like truffles personally, but if I did, it would be the inside of the truffle that I like the most. You know what a truffle is, right? It's that really rich ball of chocolate that's hard on the outside and it just flows out from the inside, right? That, that's good stuff. I don't usually like them, but I do like the runny stuff, so I'll cut it open and pour it out and eat it. That, that, that's what it's talking about, the fellowship. The fellowship is the mutual ministry of the church fueled by the Spirit of God in individual giftings given to each person so that each other can be ministered to, needs can, needs can be met, and they can be built up together. That's what the fellowship is. That's why they devoted themselves to the fellowship. There was a sense in which when they came together, they knew that they were living in desperate need of one another. Because what I lack is provided among those in whom I gather with. And if I don't show up, and I don't mean just physically, that's obviously got to happen. But if I don't show up with the spirit, not only of receiving, but serving, somebody's going to walk away unministered to today. Because God wants to use me in their life. That's fellowship, friends. That's the sweet, gooey, runny center that is the sweet reward of the church, of the body of Christ. And that's why we build community. Because community is good. It's that shell that holds the goodness of fellowship. Fellowship is the means through which God ministers the power of the gospel by the Holy Spirit through every member to grow and mature each and every person in the church. And then it says they're devoted to the breaking of bread. What does the breaking of bread do? It focuses our fellowship. There is something about a conversation that happens over a meal 
that is better than a conversation without a meal. <laughs> now, I know. Uh, too bad you look at me and go, yeah, he knows that, doesn't he? Uh, my point, though, would simply be this. When you begin to break bread, it's not just meeting of physical needs in your life. That there is a means in which fellowship around a common meal brings ministry, the meeting of needs to your life. Breaking down walls, the, the sharing aspect reminds us of the sharing of our lives around the food. This is so important that it is the one image that Christ chose to command us to do repeatedly to remember his sacrifice for us. The breaking of bread, the sharing of the fellowship meal. Friends, Christians devote themselves to the breaking of bread to remind one another that all of life comes from God in our daily provision, in our eternal salvation. Finally, they were devoted to the prayers. You see, prayer too often is left as an accessory to the Christian life. But in fact, it is the principal work of the Christian life. When we work, we accomplish what we can do. And to be quite honest, we can do a lot. There are many great monuments to man's ability to do in our world. But when we pray, we unleash the only one who really matters in his work. And that's God Almighty. When we pray, God works among us. And so Christians devote themselves to the prayers to see God work that His will might be the conforming presence of each and every person in His body. These are the four practices that are vital to center the church on Jesus. And might I show you just one more little word. It's interesting. The two most important words in this passage of Scripture are two words that we probably skip over most readily. In this phrase, the most important word is the word the, the definite article. It's not just any practice that's used at one's own will or discretion or as one chooses, but it's specific, it's definitely, it's not personally determined, it's divinely commanded and orchestrated. Christians devote themselves to these practices among the local congregation because they serve to center each person who is living a life fully devoted, centering on the one that is worthy of our devotion together so that he might build us up, not only individually, but into one building, Ephesians 2 tells us. You're blocked. And he is stacking us together to build something in this world that cannot be built by this world, but that in the building in this world will have a transforming impact upon the world. And that's why that definite article is so important. You see, Christ followers cultivate a full devotion to Jesus to build a gospel, a culture of gospel-centered mission. Let me come back to this idea of this being the mantle of the church, that inner layer that insulates the crust from the core. If there were no insulation, if the mantle were smaller, there would be too much heat emanating from the core, and we wouldn't be able to stand on the face of the earth. If there were too much, it would be too cold, and it wouldn't hold us to the planet. But the mantle serves as a buffer between the heat of the core 
And the crust of life where our rubber meets the road, where our feet hits the pavement kind of idea. And it holds us together to be able to go and to do about as we go and do about in our lives. You see, the mantle of the Christian life, the church, where we each bring our passions and our love for Christ in its unique individuality. It brings us together to bring one alongside another and to insulate and to measure and to buffer it. Sometimes to dial it back and sometimes to dial it up, right? So that we might mesh into one to have one common witness in the world. You are better because you are part of the local church. Because you are buffered with a community of Christ followers that strengthen you, make you more effective. Can you imagine if only parts of the earth had the magnetic field shooting out of it and other parts didn't at all? Like you would walk across and you'd get zapped, you know, and then you'd walk on others and all of a sudden you you wouldn't be able to find the earth. You'd be floating up off of it and trying to come back down. I mean, that's what the church does. It keeps us leveled, friends. And listen, I don't care who you are. We all need some help in this because there's some things in our life we want to run hard and fast over that we sometimes need to dial it back on. And there's a lot of things in life we want to dial it back when we, quite frankly, need a fire lit under us to heat it up and move forward. That's what the church does for us. That's what the church does for us. The third layer is the crust. You know that the crust of the earth forms only 1% of the whole earth? Let let me put that in perspective for how, how big the planet is. In all of our drilling, we've never penetrated beyond the crust. And if you, if you do uh, some Google searching of drilling on the earth, they've gone deep, friends. I mean, there's some crazy deep drilling that's happened. They've never penetrated beyond the crust into the mantle. And yet it's only 1% of the whole earth's mass. How crazy is that? In this layer, friends, here's what we begin to see. When, when a full devotion measured out through these four practices begin to take hold. What happens is a culture among a people gets formed. And look what he says. And, verse 43, all came upon every soul, and all who believed were together, and they were selling their possessions, and day by day, and the Lord added to their number. There are four investments to build a culture of gospel mission. And I'll leave you with this. The first investment is this. It's an awe. It's a worship that glorifies Jesus' name. When people who are not part of the church walk in with the gathering of this church, where we know scripturally that's where the Spirit of God is most present among His people in the gathering of the congregation. There is an awe that transcends us and yet an eminence to show the holiness and the highness of God and yet the nearness and the love of God. That's what happens in gathered worship. The second investment that I encourage and challenge you to make is not only that awe of the gathered, but that community. That community that wraps our fellowship, that strengthens our unity and our love for one another. When we come together and through our, shall we say, fleshly discernment, we see how flawed other people are. Right? It's a lot easier for me to find a speck in your eye than it is to feel the plank in my own. That's what I mean by fleshly discernment. There's a little bit of sarcasm in that, right? 
But when we see that, we recognize and are reminded of our own sinfulness. And we are defined in unity by our responsibility for one another to go, you know what? I'm here for you. You're here for me. I need you. I'll be here for you. That's spiritual unity. The third investment is a ministry to one another. To not be put off, but to share. That's what it says they shared with all who had need. Who came today with a need in their life? Right? Who came today fully aware of a gifting that God wanted to use through their life? That's why we gather. And that's the investment. And friends, that makes a difference. When people who do not walk with Jesus walk into a place of people who are walking with Jesus, it's evident. It's evident. Build a culture of that. And fourthly, it's a culture of mission that reaches people to bring them in. Our desire is for the lost to be found by Jesus. Again, I point us back to this one little word, and. And. You know why? You know why and is so important in the introduction of each of these phrases through the last four verses? Because if a full devotion is not present and a faithful practice is not happening, there will never be a culture that results in this kind of mission, in this kind of ministry, in this kind of fellowship and community, in this kind of all. So what I want to say to you today, friends, is that the life you're living here is not inconsequential as the church. It's critical. And it is fueled by your devotion for Jesus. It is built by your faithfulness in the practices as the people of God in Jesus' body. But you are creating something that a world that does not know God can experience His love and come to know Him in their full devotion of their own. May you know not just ten more years, but may you know ten times ten compounded to the tenth or until the Lord comes again. And may you be richly blessed as a church in all these ways. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and for Your grace. And thank you for this church. Thank you for the many ways, God, that you have used this church to minister in Springfield and people here in this state and in this nation and in this world. Father, may you do this many, many more times as we know it is your heart and your will. Bless them. Keep them. Guide them. Be with them. In Jesus' name, amen.